Hello and welcome to Inside the Cylinder, episode 114. I am your co-host, Matt Way, writer over at Detroit Bad Boys, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, David Fernandez. David, what's going on? Not much. I am embracing the tank. I'm living in it, and uh, I mean, I really couldn't. I mean, if you're one of these fans, and I assume most people listening to this right now are rooting for Detroit to finish out this season with some L's, and I don't think anyone could be much happier I guess with the overall, I guess you could definitely nitpick at the overall performance, but you can't be mad at the result following the Timberwolves game. Yeah, so we are recording the night of the Timberwolves game, just finished about 15 minutes or so ago. Um, Drops the Pistons to 20 and 50. It really wasn't close all night long. Um, What were your... uh, what were your big takeaways from the Timberwolves' loss, David? Honestly, I think some of my biggest takeaways is coming from the other side of the ball with uh, the Timberwolves. Uh, I thought Anthony Edwards played outstanding. I think he is going to be the deserved rookie of the year. Not that LaMelo hasn't been incredible, but with the games played and how much he's sort of just torn it up recently. And, and recently, he's kind of an understatement he's been playing really really well for a while now uh he really impressed me Sadiq impressed me with his three-point shooting uh I thought that Greg and uh, George made a good point during the broadcast about if if Sadiq had an opportunity to play out a full season he might as well be the all-time rookie leader in three-point shots I think that's very that was a good point and I I co-signed that um but it was a sloppy game, man. I mean, a, even though it was a loss and I was hoping for a loss for the tank, it wasn't the most pleasing on the eyes. I'll say that. No, it wasn't. Um, and I I agree. The, the story of the game um, overall was definitely Anthony Edwards. Um, he's been really good lately. I think Lomelo is still a pretty significant betting favorite in the rookie of the year. Um, really? Over to, to DraftKings. Yeah, I, I looked at it recently. I, I want to say he was like minus 700 or something. So, wow. um, yeah, I, I could see, I mean, I could see voters picking Edwards, um, but they, they've both been, been great, obviously. Um, but Edwards is just, you know, you can see the, the potential, like he can truly be one of the best scorers, one of the best players in the, in the league one day. Um, You know, he's the reigning number one overall pick and, you know, you you can, you can, the whole time I was thinking, you know, we're, we're cheering for a Pistons loss to get a guy like this guy who's just tearing us up. Um, And, you saw the Pistons just really struggle to do anything offensively at times tonight. Um, and a guy like Anthony Edwards or say Cade Cunningham uh, would do a, a world of good, um, especially when you, when you're bringing in Jeremy Grant and some, some other pieces to, to help out. Definitely. I, I guess on that point, when you, you mentioned that they really struggled to do anything offensively tonight, Part of me almost thinks that it was by design. Like the, the Pistons, especially in the second half, didn't really just seem to get into many sets. Like there was 
far more ISO ball that we've seen on the block. Um, there was just not that much player movement. I don't know if it was something where they just weren't playing well, they weren't in rhythm, um, or if it was literally by design when it when it comes to whatever it was that Dwayne Casey was calling. It, it just looked like a, a far more stagnant Pistons offense uh, that I that I've seen all season. Honestly, well, what are your thoughts on that, Matt? Um, I don't know that I, I I would have to go back and watch um, the the set specifically to kind of comment more on that. But to me, the bigger thing was just that they didn't have anyone on the floor for a, a, a large stretches who could really create a lot for themselves. Um, you know, killing can, can clearly create for others. Um, in fact, I just, the Pistons PR had a tweet tonight um, saying he, I think he's tied in Isaiah Thomas record for assists, something like um, 13 straight games with five or more assists, um, which is the most since Isaiah Thomas um, for a Pistons rookie. So he, I mean, he can clearly do that. We know that that's pretty, pretty settled at this point, but he's, he struggles to create, especially against a long for himself, especially um, against a long team like, like Minnesota is. Um, And they have some, some really good defenders they can can throw it, throw at you, even though they're not like collectively the best defensive team. Um, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, like all these guys rely on others to for their creation. So you know when you when you take out Jeremy Grant and and you don't have Frank Jackson to stretch the floor, um, it just becomes really difficult. And I, I think it's something that we need to keep in mind when evaluating really all of this, this late game, this late season play, um, you know, Sadiq has struggled a bit more with the ball and it's just, I think, you know, a product of the team around him. Um, Killian has certainly struggled. Um, he's played better, you know, over this recent stretch, he was really good against the bulls. I thought, but you know, he's doing all of this again with a depleted roster and not just not much talent around him. Um, the one guy who, who was able to create and, was really fantastic tonight was was Saban Lee. What did you what did you think about Saban tonight? I mean, he was uh just an an energy, you know, energizer bunny essentially out there. I thought he was really good uh getting into the paint. I thought he was good finishing with contact, finished with 22 points, 5 assists, 4 boards. You know, kind of the some of the stuff that we've seen from Saban all season long, but he was able to do it uh I guess just for a more sustained stretch so I was really happy with with how Saban Lee played um you know we didn't see the jumper that much tonight or I don't remember any jump shots from Saban Lee to be honest with you but that's fine that's not that's not his uh, bread and butter by any means so even without that without even being a threat from beyond the the arc I thought he was really good at uh you know just getting up and down the floor and and getting into the pain and just kind of using his speed and using some of his strength to finish as you mentioned against a very lengthy Minnesota Timberwolves team so for me I mean he was definitely the bright spot when it comes to the Pistons performance tonight but that's obviously not enough to to get you a win um you're going to need some other guys to fill it up and and, uh, other than Sadiq Bey who shot the lights out from three 
there wasn't too much consistently coming from the Pistons end of the floor. Yeah, and I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, this is the, the second or third straight game that we've seen Saban and Killian play together um, for, you know, a non uh, for a, a relatively significant amount of minutes. Um, and it's worked out pretty well. I think it takes some pressure off Killian to create um, when teams are really crowding him. Um, it's it, it's just been a struggle for him. And it's, it's a struggle against length. It's a str- struggle against, you know, superior athletes. Um, and if you can get a guy who can create – like Saban can alongside him, it just makes everything easier for him. And he can really be, I I think you can leverage his passing a little more. Um, And we've, you know, we saw Dwayne or heard Dwayne Casey say this earlier in the, maybe a month or so ago about how he wanted to get Killian some minutes with off, off the ball and, and people kind of left that off. But I think there is some value to it, especially if, you know, that might be his his role moving forward if um, if you get a really dynamic create number one creator. So Kate Cunningham, you're saying that would that would be ideal. I would like that. That's an audible knock on wood for everyone out there. Um, yeah, and then you also saw I think it was in the Bulls game the uh, Killian Hayes lob to Saban Lee for a jam, uh, a little point guard to point guard action there, which is. Uh, not something you see every night by any means, but yeah, I mean, uh, from tonight's game, it, it was a slot fest, right? Like there, I don't necessarily, I don't have the numbers pulled up in front of me, but the amount of turnovers that there were, the amount that there were twenty eight of them, twenty eight, and and I remember I think when it was like twenty one turnovers, I think that the Timberwolves had scored thirty some odd points on those turnovers, um, so they really capitalized on Detroit, and you know they unlike the Pistons are fully saying we don't care about the tank right now. We're trying to take this good energy into the off season and kind of keep that rolling into next season, which I definitely do applaud. We had talked about this last week, Matt, just saying, Hey, you know, that's uh that's admirable. It might not be the best like strategic move from like a long-term perspective, but also this has just been a losing franchise for so long that you really can't blame them for wanting to sort of turn it around and have some good energy going into the offseason. Detroit is a completely different story, completely different trajectory over the last few years, even though they haven't, neither of these teams have done much. Um, But you can understand it both from Minnesota's perspective, and I can completely understand it from Detroit's perspective, knowing how much uh, this upcoming draft means to to the, the Pistons, right? Like this is going to be sort of not necessarily make or break, but this is, it could not be understated for for how important it is that things hopefully fall Detroit's way once those lottery um, or once those ping pong balls are all selected uh, in the draft lotto. Yeah, you know, in Minnesota, they're going to have a worse chance at the the number one pick, but it's not going to be like a ton worse. Um, you know, the difference between third and sixth is four percent essentially, four and a half percent maybe. Um, that you know, so that that's not uh, a huge difference, and the the difference between or the you know, there's a lot more value for the Pistons in not falling behind you know the fifth or sixth spot 
where that's not as big a deal for Minnesota. You know, they, they're going to hope to get lucky and, and hit that number one, number two, number three spot uh, pick. But, you know, if they don't get it falling further back is not as big a deal as it is for a team like Detroit, who just needs all the talent they can get. Um, you, you, you could see tonight that if you put just a really good player, it doesn't have to be Cade Cunningham necessarily. That would be great for Minnesota, but, even if it's not, you could if you put a really good basketball player alongside Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and you know they have a couple really good defenders like Josh Okoge and and Jared Vanderbilt who could be kind of key role players for them. You know, th- there's there's a pretty quick turnaround I think that you can envision for for Minnesota. Yeah, the issue is though if it if it falls out of the top three, then it goes to to the Warriors. So. But that oh, means that they, right. they I'm that sorry. means that they no, it's fine. I mean, they, that means that they would keep their pick next year, which they still might not be a lottery, or they still could possibly be a lottery team next season. So, um, you know, it's not all ride or die for this particular pick for Minnesota. And also, one thing that that we should note about Minnesota compared to Detroit is that they have essentially two guys that they can kind of bank on for holding this team together for the future. Now, obviously the Carl Anthony Towns uh, uh, re-signing situation is going to be massive, uh, but they do have Anthony Edwards who has been outstanding, uh, you know, in the latter half of this season who they can at least have some hope in. In Detroit, as you mentioned, Matt, like they don't have that sort of initial offense creator right now on their roster. So even from finding that type of guy, uh, for Detroit is even more important for that team compared to a Minnesota Timberwolves because they do have Anthony Edwards. They do have Carl Anthony Towns, at least right now. So, you know, that kind of just kind of comes all full circle of, of why it was important for Detroit to lose. You would hope that we would see a little bit better of a performance from the team, but all in all, I'd, I'd rather have it be this way and then play really poorly and end up with a loss and then everyone play outstanding and, wind up with a win. And then we're talking about some funky tiebreaker situations and whatever it is that goes into that. Uh, you know, that's what, uh, that that's what concerns me the most kind of looking forward to the rest of this season. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the Pistons are in the number two spot by themselves right now. Um, <clears throat> they're going to be at least a game ahead of a game clear of, Cleveland and Oklahoma City after tonight. Um, Oklahoma City is playing right now. Um, they just actually tipped off against the Kings, which who knows anything can happen against the Kings. Um, but, you know, the, the Pistons have two games left, the Nuggets and the Heat. Um, David, do you, do you think either of those teams are going to be trying to win those games against the Pistons? Yeah, I, I think both of the teams are going to be trying to win uh, against Detroit. I know it's a little bit more complicated out West, especially because of the play-in tournament situation with it being likely that the Lakers and Golden State Warriors are going to be going against each other in that 7-8 matchup. Um, so that could certainly complicate things. I don't think that the Denver Nuggets are going to be schedule watching too much they kind of seem like a team that's going to put out their best guys and even if it is in limited minutes and I think that would definitely be enough to clear Detroit with the 
Miami Heat, I think they're definitely going to be trying to win games. Right now, they're sitting at the sixth seed, and, and they're most likely going to finish outside of the play-in tournament. But they have a real chance to move up to either the five or four seed. And for them, that's the difference of playing either the Knicks or Hawks in the first round or having to go against the Milwaukee Bucks. So even though they, they really honestly took the Bucks to, to the woodshed last season in the playoffs, I'm sure they don't want to have to go against them in the first round. They would definitely be more comfortable going against the Knicks or the Hawks. So for the Miami Heat, I really do think that they're going to be trying to win out the rest of this season. I guess the the more pressing game to pay attention to would be that Nuggets game in case they are really concerned about a possible matchup later on in the playoffs against the Los Angeles Lakers. Or I don't think they would worry too much about the Golden State Warriors, but I'm sure they do not want to have to face up against the Lakers in the second round. Yeah, that would that would be pretty rough. Um, the the three seed is not really where you want to be in the West. Um, you know, um, the um, I don't think there's much of a difference between the three and the four. You know, the the Mavericks and the the Blazers, you know, can both be dangerous if Luca or or Dame get get going. Um, but you, you expect to be a pretty decent favorite in that series. Um, if you're the three, you're then going to potentially have to play the Lakers um, or the Suns. And, you know, if if I am deciding who I want to play, I would much rather play the Utah Jazz in the second round. Um, no question about that. For sure. I, and I guess this kind of gets to a bigger question. And we haven't talked about that this at all this whole entire season because – We've been talking about the Pistons at the bottom of these standings. What are your thoughts on the playing tournament? Um, you know, I, 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 I like it from a fan perspective. You know, it creates excitement uh, late in the season. You know, these matchups would not matter nearly as much, um, some of them, if, if there wasn't a play-in. So, so there's definitely intrigue. In the end of the season, um, there's, you know, entry just in the, the playing tournament itself. Like you get more, you know, playoff type basketball. Um, and I'm always a fan of that. I, I do understand how players feel, um, you know, players who don't like it. You, you play 72 games this year, 82 games in the future, and you're going to let one game decide, you know, it could completely wipe out all of that work. Um, so I, I I definitely understand and kind of sympathize with the, the players um, who don't like it. But as a fan, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of it too. And uh, I mean, I understand that too. I mean, I think you'd be hearing that from the seven and eight seeded teams, not the nine and 10 seeded teams, right? Like those guys are probably <laughs> yes. bigger fans of the play-in tournament compared to uh, – you know, teams that are that would normally cement themselves in the playoffs. I definitely understand it from LeBron and the Lakers' perspective, especially after playing so long into the fall last season, having a shortened off season, having like twenty six days off before starting up training camp. Uh, the uh, for for this season, so I do understand the gripes with it. But j- honestly, for me, I don't really care like I, I really am excited for the play-in tournament and uh 
I mean, that if that Lakers-Warriors game happens, which in all likelihood it will, I am going to be glued to my TV for that game. Like That is going to be one of the most exciting, the most exciting basketball game of the entire season, and that's even before the playoffs officially kick off. So for all the weird little scenarios, even fast-forwarding a little bit to next season, let's say Detroit is able to get one of these difference makers and able to turn it around. The Eastern Conference is so damn bad. It is not unrealistic that, and it's not likely either, but it's not unrealistic that the Detroit Pistons could find themselves, you know, fighting for the play-in tournament come, you know, I guess, uh, February and March of next season. So for me, I am all about it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, if if you you look at the West play-in tournament. And, you know, if things had fallen a little differently and the Pelicans got in over the Spurs, which is super unlikely at this point, but if that had happened, I mean, you you would be looking at a Western Conference playing tournament with LeBron, AD, Steph, Ja, and Zion Williamson. Um, which would and Ja and be, Zion going at it too, right? Where it's like those are the one and two pick. That has its own little narrative going into it. Yeah, you got LeBron and stuff going at it. Like, it would just be crazy. Um, and it's still going to be, like, tons of fun because those are they're pretty solid teams. Um, in the Lakers' case, when healthy, they're a great team. So um, it's – I think from – in terms of getting viewers in and just giving the fans the best experience, it's it's a no-brainer at this point for the, for the league. For sure, and I hope they do keep it. Uh I am really, really excited for the playoffs to start. It has been a slog these last few weeks uh, from in Pistons land. And that's the majority of uh, NBA basketball that I do watch, um, just because uh, there's a lot of games. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we should just quickly talk about the lottery odds. Um, hasn't changed much from last time we recorded with Detroit still slated as the second worst team. They have an 80% chance to land a top five pick, a 20% chance to fall back to the sixth spot if they were to finish with the second worst record. There is an interesting nugget here when it comes to all of these teams that are stacked up at the bottom, Detroit, Cleveland, Oklahoma City, Orlando. And I am on tankathon.com. So I suggest everyone to go check this out. Go to tankathon.com and go to the Pick Odds uh, page. It's under the More tab. And in here right now, since the Cleveland Cavaliers in Oklahoma City are tied by record, they actually would be splitting odds when it comes to that uh, number one pick. So in a normal situation, the bottom three teams would have a 14% odds of landing the number one pick. In this situation, since there are two teams tied, it would be Houston with a 14% chance, Detroit with a 14% chance, that is if the season ended today, and then Cleveland would then have a 13.3% chance, and Oklahoma City would have a 13.2% chance. So it does look like they are splitting odds instead of doing tiebreaker situations to decide who is going to have the best odds for the one, two, three, four picks and so on. So that is something that's interesting to note. Hopefully that's something that we're not going to have to monitor and Detroit 
simply loses out their last two games and cements themselves as that bottom two team. But Matt and I were talking about this before we recorded and we're like, how is this really working? Because we, we weren't really 100% sure. But according to Tankathon, that's looks that looks like what would happen should there be a tie at the end of the season. So go check that out and look at it yourself just because I think the visual does do a lot of help. Yeah, and so there is a note that I'm just seeing at the bottom um, that says Tide Lottery teams split their ping pong balls evenly and any odd remainder in the better draft order position are given to the random drawing winner. So so there is a, a coin flip or just I'm sure it's not an actual coin flip, but but some computer system that spits out to, spits out a random number, and so that the top four picks are basically going to be split between ties. But there is value in in winning that tiebreaker in getting like like if Cleveland was was won it over Oklahoma City right now. Um, if you look at their the the odds um, where David was was telling you to. Um, the odds of getting the fifth pick is is where it splits, and they have a much better chance of getting the fifth pick than than Oklahoma City, who would would be fourth in this scenario. Um, so it, it does look like it it affects your odds after the top four. Um, so it, it could be a factor in how far the Pistons could fall if they do get into a tie for for second or third. But let me just. Knock on wood again and just hope that uh, Jimmy Butler and uh, Jokic go off in these next couple of games because uh, that would just be good for my mental going into the draft lottery, even though, even with that being the case, who knows? It's uh, still the luck of the ping pong balls at that point. But no one is catching the Houston Rockets. They will be finishing with the worst record in the league. And uh, impressively so, I might add, uh, because, my God, they have won... They were 10 and 9. And since then, they have won six games. They've gone 6 and 42 in their last 51 games. Or, sorry, that's not the right math. In the last 48 games, 6 and 42. So they are, that that is a tank job. Jesus. But um, yeah, man, I mean, that's that's what I got right now for the lottery odds update. Might not have been the cleanest presentation. So I do. Suggest again going to Tankathon and checking out the pick odds tab. Yeah, it's it's a little confusing, um, especially with the new rules. But I think we I think we've we, we've covered it as best we can. We are not uh, lottery odds experts, and none of this is um, is is definite. I would say so. So if if anyone does have uh, have a better idea than us. Um, of, of how to interpret all this, please hit us up in, in the comments when this, uh, when this posts on Detroit bad boys. Yeah. Nate silver completely just ghosted on the interview today, which is weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, Matt, I did just want to bring it back to Pistons land real quick. Um, we don't have too much more for this episode, but uh, you had a really good piece that came out. Uh, was that today or yesterday? I think it was, uh, that was this morning. Yeah, it was this morning. Yeah. The closeout. it's on DetroitBadBoys.com. And it's a look at Sekou Demboya's recent success. You did a really good job of breaking down his game and showing where he's been most effective as of late. Um, I mean, I just pulled up some of his stats and his last like eleven or eight games I have pulled up here. He's shooting. He's a, almost twelve points per game. He's shooting 
46% from the floor, but much better from two than three. Um, 4.9 boards, 1.5 assists. He's really sort of turned it on as of late. And you did a great job of showing him in different actions, whether that be like cutting towards the hoop. Um, you have him, you know, kind of in some of these post-up situations, pushing it in transition, using his strength. What have you seen from your eyes that, that you've really, really liked that sort of stood out to you about Seiku? And everyone should go check out this article too. Yeah, well, thanks, David. Um, so I know one of the things I cited in the piece was over the last seven games, and that's prior to tonight's game against the, the Timberwolves, Seiku was shooting 60% from on, on two-point field goals. Um, that goes back to the Dallas game. And he shot sixty percent from on, on two pointers tonight. So, so that is now over the last eight games. Um, he has just seemed to me to really kind of get it. Um, and and I don't mean <clears throat> I don't mean that he didn't get it before. Um, Dwayne Casey's on record as saying that Seku is is really one of the kind of the smarter guys on the team and really understands what to do. Just not he just doesn't always do it. Um, but to my eye, he is really figuring that out. He's thinking less and he's just acting more. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that I really highlighted in the, the beginning of the piece was how the, how good his timing is on his cuts and how it's, it, I don't think it's always been like that because when you look at his cut numbers, um, especially this year, the, the, we, we know he's a good cutter, but he hasn't finished well on those cuts. Um, he's something somewhere in like in the 20th percentile of NBA players on, on cut efficiency. But he's really figuring that out a bit more. He's directing traffic offensively. You'll, you'll see him point guys to where they need to be. Um, he just looks less frenetic and more under control. And it's really, really kind of unlocking the the, the potential that we've always seen in Seiku. He's a, he's a big body. He's athletic. He's pretty smart. Um, and he's, he's finally starting to put all of that to, to good use when he's on the floor. Um, I think that this recent stretch is a lot more sustainable than what we saw in his first season in his rookie year when he had his, his great stretch when he, um, he was in the starting lineup, and that I think was just more a product of making shots. Um, where where this is really more about what he's the, the process, what he's doing to get to his spots on the floor, and and it's just it's been it's been really encouraging to watch. And quite frankly, I think it should earn him a spot on the the roster next year. I would one hundred percent agree, and and I think. What my takeaway was after reading your article and watching some of these clips, um, which is like coupled with uh, uh, my eye test, is that he, he just seems to be doing things with a purpose. Like, and he's been patient on some of those cuts, like like you have noted, where he's uh, not just running into the lane and cutting for the sake of cutting. He's really making sure that his defender is falling asleep and he has that open lane, or that there's enough sort of misdirection, whether that be in like a high pick and roll or something like that, where other defenders have their heads turned and he's finding those open lanes and finishing efficiently at the cup. Um, you've also noted uh, some of his action when it comes to the pick and roll. He's been slipping pick and rolls and attacking closeouts as well efficiently. So, um, and, and just doing it w- with like an, a plan in mind once he actually does find himself in the paint. So, 
well, yeah, once again, definitely go check it out, everyone. You, you did a really good job there of just kind of showing him in all of these different types of um, sets and what he's been able to do. And, and you can just really tell that that there, you know, as I said, my takeaway was he's doing things with a purpose now. He's not just doing things just to do them. So, um, yeah, check it out, peeps. Yeah, I, I think, you know, what you say about him having a plan, and we've talked about how that's a need for Killian, and maybe this is kind of encouraging that we're seeing um, Seku develop this in his in his second year, albeit late in the year. Um, you know, that little spin move he's been throwing out when he's he's just under control. He's not running into traffic like he we've seen in the past. Um, and he throws in this nice spin move and has this little lefty, finish that's really quite useful um so i i've been i've been down on seiku almost all year um but i've been super encouraged by what i've seen over the last few weeks you and i went in like the middle of this season when we were talking about some of these seiku games some of these minutes that we were seeing and mind you he wasn't given like the most amount of playing time uh he didn't have consistent nights where he was suiting up even and, and actually getting into the game. But sometimes it just looked like he was so lost out there. And just to see him be so attentive to what it is that he's supposed to do, what his role is and not overdoing it has been um, definitely a sight for sore eyes. Uh, you noted it too. Killian has had some pretty solid performances. He had his game of the season uh, a, a couple of games ago against the Chicago Bulls. I think he had 21, six and seven in that game. Um, you know, I didn't see too much out of that, that that looked different from some of the other stuff that I've seen out of Killian. It just seems like he was a little bit more aggressive in looking for his shot. And then also the shot just happened to fall. A lot of the looks that he was getting, whether that be in the mid range floater, I mean, he did hit some pretty impressive threes in that game, but all in all, it was a lot of similar looks that, that we've seen, but it is just nice. And I said this last week that I was waiting for that Killian game. And I just want to see the ball find the net. And that was encouraging as well. Um, even tonight's game was kind of, it wasn't super, super encouraging. He was really loose with his dribble, something that we've talked about before, but he was still able to, to put up some production. He had an outstanding pass to Seku, like full court outlet pass uh, again on the money. Um, but e even with uh, Killian, there was uh, uh, some positives to take away from tonight. And uh, and it wasn't positives in the sense where he finished with like five, three and four, you know, it was something I think he had like 13, six and seven or 13, seven and eight or something like that. So, and it's not all about production. I know that, but it, I think with him seeing the ball go in more than not and seeing guys finish some of the looks that he's giving them, is all good for his confidence as we go into the offseason. Yeah, and he's kind of developing some chemistry with Seku, which is is nice to see. Um, and, I, you know, the, the biggest thing in the Bulls game is, you know, like you said, one, one of the shots just fell, and that's that's going to happen. I'm I'm very confident that, that Killian is going to be a good shooter. Um you know, how good a shooter is going to depend on how well he gets to his spots, how well he creates space. Um, but I, I, I just, his, his form, his footwork is too good to me to, for him to just be a bad shooter long-term. Um, and I, I think you see when he really looks for his own shot and when he really 
knows what he's going to do. Like there's, he, he is able to create some space in those step back situations. He's able to get his footwork down, going to the rim and um, hitting that little floater off the, off the high glass that, that you see from time to time. You'd like to see him get closer to the rim and make that shot easier. Certainly. Um, but there's, there, there's flashes in there. Um, it's, it's going to take a little, little bit for it all to come together, I think. And, you know, we, we don't know what, what ultimately he's, he's going to end up as, but there, there are reasons for, for optimism, even though, you know, it, it has been a, a tough year for him. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I think that's kind of just been the whole narrative for this whole team in general. You know, we've seen a lot of flashes out of this team. It's kind of crazy, Matt, because next time we record, the season will be over. They have a game on Friday and a game on Sunday, and we've recorded on Tuesdays. So uh, it's been a hell of a first run with you here. I don't know. Do you have anything else for, for the people? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. It's, uh, it, it certainly has been fun. Um, hopefully next year will be a little more fun. Um, the only thing I would note as we, uh, as we close out is the Thunder are currently five points ahead of the Sacramento Kings after the first quarter. <laughs> so go Let's Thunder. Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's awesome. Uh, and yeah, hopefully they can close that one out. We, I, I will. We will see. But uh, by the time you hear this, that game will be in the books. Um, Matt, yeah, great first season. We'll definitely be recording next year just kind of as like a recap of everything or next week, excuse me, um, of a recap of the remainder of this season, uh, looking at uh, where they finish, what the lottery odds look like there. Might throw out some questions to you guys or or ask for some questions from y'all. But uh Good first year here, Matt, and uh, yeah, definitely better things to come. But uh, as always, you can find this podcast. Apparently, there's some issues with Google Play, so I'm sorry for all the Google people out there. I don't know what's wrong with the podcast not getting there, but um, we have been trying to work on it with Vox. Um, But if you're on the other channels, you know, Apple Music and Spotify and whatnot, you can find us there, DetroitBadBoys.com, always the new episodes, Inside the Cylinder. Uh, on Twitter, C-Y-L-N-D-R. Follow Matt over on Twitter as well. He's at WayMattH. I'm at the underscore Fernandula. And uh, we will catch you all next week. Peace.